this is a conversation more than just straight uh, question and answer. The comments are welcome. I'm Ivan Thomas. Thank you for your very informative speech. And I understand most of it, but some of it I don't quite understand. So assuming that you're talking about oxygen intake from the air goes into my lungs, how do I get it in my stomach to make methane? <laughs> okay, um, methane, methane production is due to the activity of the microbes in the rumen. The rumen of cattle is anaerobic. There's not enough oxygen in the rumen of cattle. Due to the fact that there's a lot of CO2 in the rumen and the activity of the microbes, they produce a lot of hydrogen. And hydrogen is one molecule the microbes don't like. They cannot ferment or digest the feed if in a science we call reduced environment due to a lot of CO2. So the atmosphere in the rumen is not due to the fact that the animal is breathing in, you know, as you said, because if it breathes in, it goes into the lungs and goes elsewhere. The microbes are producing a lot of gases, a lot of gases, CO2 being the principal one, and the reduced environment leads to high concentrations of hydrogen. So they ask themselves, how do I get rid of hydrogen? And they, form, they found a way of combining carbon dioxide, the C, and hydrogen, the H, to form methane, which is CH4. So for the microbes, production of methane is a way for them to cope <coughs> with the environment in the rumen. The cow says, thank you very much. I can get rid of that methane for you, for you to keep doing what you do for me, the digestion of forages and the concentrates. And through that, the microbes produce what I call three volatile fatty acids which are the main sources of energy. One is, this fine gentleman was asking about vinegar. You know, acetic acid is one of the byproducts of their digestion of feed. The cow says, thank you very much. I can use acetic acid to produce energy. The other one is propionic acid. He said, thank you very much. I can use propionic acid to produce glucose which is then needed to produce milk. You know, you go what I mean? So the dependency of cows on the microbes is immense. So the cow says, I'll produce, I'll give you the environment, the hotel to live in, which is the rumen, and please give me the substrates which I can use to produce energy and to produce beef and milk. Does that help? Okay. Terry <laughs> Shillington, thank you very much for your very informative presentation. Uh, when people 
this generation get concerned about uh, 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 the, the dairy and beef industry, it usually has to do with the growth hormones and additives that go into the cattle's food, uh, food that which uh, gets regenerated and recycled. Uh, and uh, there's all kinds of concerns about the growth hormones, for example, what they do in, in uh, boys and girls, for example. Uh, I didn't hear you say hardly anything about what kind of growth hormones and food additives are required to generate this efficiency in the animal. Thank you very much. That's a perfect, for me, a good question, and it gives me an opportunity to talk about the so-called implants growth hormones versus what I talked about, the residual feeding tank. So, first, let's talk about implants. In the livestock industry, the margins are very low. And the argument I've heard is this. The only way by which we can make some profit is increased efficiency. So they'll try anything, including growth hormone or the so-called implants. Now the question I have for myself is, yes, society, we have a right to question the use of implants, the use of antibiotics in the production system. In fact, the EU, and that's why we cannot export some of our beef to the EU, the EU does not allow the use of implants, etc., in the production. They are very clear about it. And I'm, I can speak as a citizen, not as a scientist. So we as a society have a choice. How much are we willing to pay for beef here, for example. In the EU, a pound of beef will cost X dollars, and they're willing to pay because they don't want the use of implants. The question I have is, how much are we willing to pay? Because the producers are saying the only way by which they can increase efficiency is through the use. Now I can speak as a scientist. And the so-called effect on the our kids. I've always struggled with the effect of some of these chemicals on one, the animal, and two, the amount in beef which affects or could affect us as humans. Seriously, I've, I've always, and I, I used to teach a class on implants. We cannot find the residues of these implants in sufficient quantities in beef compared to, for example, the so-called estrogenic compounds in some of the plants and vegetables we eat. Okay, now I can speak to you as, as a dad who was very concerned about, wow, so let's get it straight. Some of those compounds are in trace amounts in beef compared to the broccoli, the cauliflower, and stuff like that, that we take to be safe. So the question in my mind is that I don't have all the answers. There may be some residues which we haven't been able to find yet, which may affect 
our kids in terms of growth and all those things. But the data that I have, which in the science uh, tells me that the concentrations may be close to a thousand times in some of the plants we have compared to the equivalent amount in beef. So if you take a pound of broccoli versus a pound of beef, the concentrations of those estrogenic <coughs> stuff could be close to a thousand times. I'm not saying that there may be you know, questions that we, have, we haven't found answers to. But the science tells me that for me, I can eat beef, and I can allow my kids to eat beef relative to the concentrations of the growth hormone. The antibiotic resistance one concerns me a lot because we use a lot of antibiotics in beef, in, in the livestock industry. And we know for, for sure that some of them lead to this antibiotic resistance that has plagued us as a society. And so some of the livestock producers have, and again, you know, from Catelco and the rest of them have decided these are the lines of steers which we are not going to use antibiotics. If we use antibiotics, we'll move them into the so-called different streams. And they market those animals like that. If you are interested in a, a so-called organic stream, this is it. If you are interested in the so-called common beef, this is it. But this is how much you're going to pay for the organic versus the ones which have been made. It is a very tricky situation for me relative to you know, speaking to you as a scientist, but also speaking to you as a dad. I hope so. But the residual feed intake has nothing to do with implants. It is the, the disposition of some of these animals, either because, and it is interesting to watch them in the home. So you say, okay, this is the feeding trough. I'll go and eat, and I'll come and lie down. They don't walk around fighting each other and stuff like that. They say, I'm going to eat, I'm going to lie down and rest and use that energy to produce beef instead of fighting. It is very interesting to watch the two groups, you know, those who are efficient and those which are not efficient. The microbes in the rumen, in terms of genetics, have been found to be slightly different in the efficient animals versus the inefficient animals. So, as I said, part of this is genetics, and part of it is the environment that that they provide for the microbes to do what they do. The less methane production, more propionic acid production for glucose, the lack, don't call it, the lack of wasting energy just by running around for the sake of it, you know, all those kinds of things we are studying. Okay? I really hope. Thank you. My name is Henning Mungle. And if I may uh, ask you, first of all, uh, is your name more correctly pronounced, Okine? How would you prefer? Okine. Okine? Okine? Yes. Erasmus is good. Yes, very Erasmus good. Yes. is very good. Thank you. Um, I want to get back to sort of the global perspective and into the future. And you've outlined something that's very important to us here, 
I think people have heard Ralph Klein about the getting rid of, uh, reducing the belching of cattle uh, uh, when he was our premier. And uh, some of my former colleagues at the research station here, uh, Karen Boschman yes. and Tim McAllister, have certainly contributed in this area. I'm a plant scientist. Um, and you have shown to us how significant progress has been made in increasing the efficiency, ultimately, of beef production. On the global scene, I wonder how much impact that will have or should have. For example, 40 years ago, I was working in Kenya, and it seemed strange. I was working in wheat breeding, but it seemed strange. The bread consumption was taken as an index of economic well-being in the country. Bread. Yeah. In, I've worked for three years in India, where a large percentage of the population is vegetarian and that all these wonderful uh, grams, lentils, chickpeas, whatever, uh, used. So increased beef production efficiency wouldn't necessarily impact population increases in a country like that. And on the other end also, the, uh, uh, what's that RF factor? Yes, um, uh, uh, RFI. RFI mm -hmm. in chickens is much lower, even in those efficient beef. So why shouldn't chicken beef, uh, chicken meat production, be emphasized globally more than beef production? Yes, very good comments. Um, well, let, let me take a chicken. <laughs> the chicken is, if you take it, a look at beef consumption here. The slope is negative. We, as a population, you know, in the Western world, Alberta, for example, or Canada, we're eating less beef. Chicken is already up. If you take the efficiency of production, the chicken is more efficient than cattle, right? If you take pure feed efficiency. Again, I'll come back to this. Take a look a look at the rangeland we have and take a look at the productivity in terms of pasture land of these vast areas without livestock what are we going to do with it? Grazing. I'm not talking about cultivated or irrigated I'm talking about the native pastures for example what are we going to do? The only way by which we move the protein from the plants into useful protein is through the animal. That is number one. So, number two is this. In countries where vegetarian, um, being vegetarians or whatever it is, yes, that's fine. I, I have to eat my vegetables at home, even though... <laughs> Where's David? David is here somewhere. David Hill is here. I don't like vegetables. <laughs> Give me beef anytime. But I have to eat my vegetables. So yes, I believe in the plant protein part of it. But, and those who, who are vegetarians will tell you, they have to work harder at trying to match the amino acid or protein requirements to their daily needs. Compared to, I'm not, again, please don't hear me say I don't like X, Y, Z. Compared to what I call the amino acid profile in beef. Of livestock. Okay. That profile in terms of biological value, I'm saying you don't have to work so hard at it at matching what you need versus what you have. 
Meat provides that profile in a more complete form than trying to understand what you need and what you want if you are vegetarian. I'm just, you know, so there's a lot more work to do. What have I said? In countries where moving into the so-called middle class says that, yes, you know, like bread, meat is a source to say I've arrived. That's fine. And if they are going to compete for meat, why can't it be us providing that meat to them globally? Okay, that is why I'm, I'm proud to be Canadian, proud to be Albertan. It should be us. Not Australia, not Argentina, it should be us. Not, <laughs> not United States. <laughs> okay. And if they are vegetarians, that's fine. You know? We are doing great strides in plant physiology, plant breeding, and all, right? We should export and those technologies and stuff like that to those countries. I'm all for us doing very well as an agricultural province and country. Okay. Hello, I'm John Kelpus, I'm a retired agriculturist. Doctor, I want to compliment you on your very eloquent and, and uh, concise presentation. And uh, I appreciated your preamble comments about uh, Southern Alberta and things you've already observed. And I'm sure uh, I got a little preamble to my question with uh, Dr. Hill or David Hill here. Mm -hmm. ELB or already has tuned in to irrigation and its impacts and the 50 different crops that were already growing and, mm -hmm. and the multinationals that uh, food processing industry are supporting here. Uh, I'm sure you're also aware of a couple of famous Southern Albertans. Uh, Dr. Henning uh, Mendel took you globally, but I'm going to bring us back to Alberta. Two famous other Alberta boys, Dr. Roy Berg from yes. around the Brooks area, mm -hmm. and uh, Dr. Bob Haranaka, mm -hmm. Raymond, and Lethbridge Research Center, uh, the latter dean of the university. Dr. Berg yes. had quite a struggle in bringing and introducing crossbreeding mm -hmm. into more beef production efficiency. Mm -hmm. Southern Alberta ranchers were at the forefront of introducing the exotics. Dr. Uh, Haranaka, yes. working with uh, feedlot rations, hugely with preconditioning and uh, ration management formulation, mm -hmm. uh, reduced losses in feedlot, the feedlots, mm -hmm. hugely. So compared to, you know, Alberta is now producing uh, and processing 60 to 65% of Canada's meat or beef. And uh, we've improved the, with the, just those two management uh, aspects. We've probably already increased the production of beef efficiency by 40% or thereabouts. You probably know a more accurate number with the uh, research and genomics that you have discussed, uh, what are you projecting that we can add to that? If you, I think you mentioned a figure around 10%. Mm -hmm. 
what is your vision of how much further we can uh, improve this beef efficiency? Thank you. Thank you. Um, Dr. Roy Berg was my mentor at the University of Alberta in terms of crossbreeding. And um, he, more than anybody relative to breeding, moved us forward so much. One of the reasons I came here, two names, um, to, uh, I came to Canada basically, two names, Larry Milligan, animal biochemist, and Roy, Dr. Berg. Hironaka here, well, in terms of when I was doing feedlot, you know, was one of those that, in terms of communication and trying to figure out what is happening, especially in the South, fine. I worked with Tim, you know, I call him my, uh, my younger brother by a different mother. <laughs> <laughs> I worked with Karen, you know, we get to see each other almost every month, at least on a Friday, because I'm still working with them, even in my new position. I still work with them. So the people that you've mentioned are the giants. Hironaka, Roy, now Tim, you know, Karen, and working with them is a pleasure. In terms of residual feed intake, you know, relative to the fact that it's going to reduce methane production or methane emission by close to 30%. Manure production is going to decrease by about 10%. At the same rate of gain, I can imagine close to 10 to 15% efficiency in cattle production as we know it. And we know for sure that the chicken guys are interested in residual feed intake. Again, at the University of Alberta, where I came from first, there's a young man there, Martin Zudov. He's been able to measure the intake of these little chicks precisely to be able to figure out which of them are efficient as broilers and stuff like that. It is incredible. The swine industry is doing the same thing. So it is a phenomenon which is how efficient can we get? We've done very well, but how more efficient can we get? Meeting the tenets of sustainability, economic, societal, and environmental. So for me, it's if we can get between 10 to 15 percent increase in efficiency, that would be, for me, that would be very, very, very good. Hello. Hi, I'm Dan from the Lathersdome. Thank you very much. Thank you. I think you're a very good teacher. Oh. That, was, that was very good. Um, thank you for including social license. I think um, that's one thing that we really have to talk about in in all aspects of, uh, of research and change in society. So thank you for including that. My question for you is when you have one bull producing so many offspring, 40,000 plus, um, what, what concerns have you found from having such a homogenous group of whether it's dairy cattle or beef producers? Mm -hmm. What concerns? Um, and then further down the line, it seems like you would have a lot of inbreeding problems. So maybe you could address those issues. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's a very good question too. Um, I may get the numbers wrong, 
Um, but in the dairy industry, I think almost all the dairy calves in the world relative come from about, is it 15 or 20 bulls? That one, please, I don't want to say something which, David, you, it's, it's a very small number of bulls. Let's get that, you know, in terms of in the dairy world. And so what, the, what you are talking about is real in terms of EPDs, their breeding lines and stuff. They've gotten to a stage where Roy, who mentioned Roy, Roy said in the dairy business, all they are producing, sorry if they are producers here, is water. And they've bred to produce large amounts of water because we know milk grows to 90%, greater than 90% of milk is water. That's what Roy said. So yes, I worry about that. I worry about the small number of bulls which are being used as the mainstay of the breeding system in the dairy industry. On the beef side, we haven't gotten there yet. Okay, no, we haven't gotten there yet. We know the ratio of a one-year-old bull to about 10 heifers, a two-year to about 20. So we still use a lot of bulls in the beef business. What we are trying to do is to say, which of those bulls should we use in terms of residual feed intake as part of the breeding program? So you can imagine how many cows we have and the ratio of bulls we have. We are more, I'm not worried about the inbreeding aspect of it on the beef side. I'm worried about it on the dairy side. We haven't gotten anywhere close relative to inbreeding and stuff like that on the beef side. But I worry about it on the, on the dairy side. Last question. Boy. I know time flies. Actually, I might sneak in one more question. Thanks for giving me another chance. Yes. I'm having time, let's see if you can't remember. I asked a simple question before I have another simple question. It was a simple I don't remember the substance. <laughs> the substance you couldn't find in the beef, but it was a thousand times more in the broccoli. Yes. Now, when you put this animal on a broccoli diet, can you find it in the manure? Can he hide it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the reason, and, and this is this is a good question. The reason that I believe we are not finding some of the residues is the fact that. Most of the time, if you're feeding ionophores, they go through the rumen, and those microbes are vicious. There is a picture of Tim McAllister with, um, a, with a cotton t-shirt, which he put into the rumen of a cow for one week. Okay, one week. A full, nice, beautiful, new t-shirt. <coughs> I should have brought that picture. Not, basically, nothing was left. Okay, so I mean, they are really, really good at, and those microbes are promiscuous. If they find a way by which they can deal with, let's say, an antibiotic, because they don't like it, or some of those ionophores, they find ways and means to get rid of it very quickly. So finding it not only in the meat, but also in the manure, sometimes it's difficult. And it is ascribed to the fact that 
those microbes, because the drop of them contains about 11 billion, they are very, very good at trying to modify whatever we eat. So I keep t telling my class, we don't eat the grass, we feed the animal, we eat the microbes which are in the rumen. And I believe that is part of why we don't tend to find some of these, what do you call it, um, compounds in the meat and all in the manure. But definitely in terms of the antibiotic, yeah, because those microbes have to come back at the, at the other end, some of them survive and become part of the environment. That will lead to an increase in the antibiotic resistance that we do find. Okay, I'm just going to uh, ask one last question in relation to the picture, actually, that's up. I'm just wondering if um, what you think motivated CORE's contribution to both the college and the university, um, and the benefit of a program that encapsulates both the college and the university, and uh, <laughs> yeah, basically the overall benefit of the CORE Battery Southern Alberta Agribusiness Business Program to Lethbridge with the college and the university collaborating. Well, I should get David to answer that question. But Bobby, you nearly got me into trouble. In terms of the motivation of Corvin Ray relative to his, his donation, I can only tell you what he's told us. That the motivation is that agriculture should be a business. It is no longer good to say it's a hobby. You know, a lot of my animals, we all do, but something should pay the bills. And he believes that agribusiness should be in the forefront of agriculture. And so he wants us, relative to the university and the college, to have those synergies of making agriculture a business. That is his, David, am I capturing it? It is, it is I believe that is what CORE really wants us to do. We know about farming, the last time I met him, his question to me is HR, Erasmus HR, human resources on farms. He says, if you cannot deal with the people who are working on your farm, how do you want it to be profitable? How can you make it profitable? So that is what is, you know, and basically he's laid the path, and David has been the lead working for the university and the college with your husband, who is no longer here, and trying to bring us together to say what can we do to put Southern Alberta on the map and to retain the students that we have here relative to entrepreneurship, relative to the business of agriculture, and being resilient in terms of some of the economics of scale, what happens in Southern Alberta. So this one is was arranged, it's, it is the university and the college going to Corban Ray's farm on two buses, or one bus, two buses, to visit him. And this was taken um, at that place. I get to see Cor, I saw him just um, maybe two days ago on his walk and stuff like that, infested in agribusiness. Awesome. That's what, yes. Fantastic. Let's have a round of applause. For